Well, here in Acts 18 and 19, we, we've got our friend Paul again. And I think we can discern from what's written here something of how God works in the lives of, of each of us. We'll start off in verse uh, 5. Uh, that when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. And you've got the same uh, idea uh, in chapter 19 uh, that, uh, that, that we just read, verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit. And the question is whether this is the Holy Spirit or whether this is the spirit of Paul. And I think it's significant that holy doesn't occur there and I think that this is the, the spirit or the mind of, of Paul being influenced by Silas and Timothy coming to him verse 5 just like uh, when people come other believers they encourage you they strengthen you in the spirit in the mind to, to take certain decisions uh, chapter 19 verse 21 as a result of the great uh, prevailing of the word in Ephesus Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem and then to go on to Rome. So I think that we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about Paul purposing within himself. And he was a very purposeful person. You remember when he's sort of on his swan song at the end of 2 Timothy, he, he says to Timothy, you have known my purpose. You knew that I was the sort of person who... Uh, had an end in view and I bent everything in me towards that end so then he was pressed in the spirit let's go back to chapter 18 verse 5 pressed in the spirit to testify to the Jews now at the council of Jerusalem as he reminds us uh, in, in Galatians when he talks about uh, he remembers the thing um, he says that it was really agreed that he would go to, to the Gentiles but that in the course of his work with the Gentiles he would also uh, be careful to remember poor Jewish people so then really the Spirit the, the Holy Spirit set up that whole Council of Jerusalem and the whole conclusion there we're told was not only the result of the brethren working this out but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them that it was God's will uh, reinforced by the work of the Holy Spirit in, in various ways that Paul should go to the Gentiles but in fact he doesn't do that he keeps on and on going to the Jews and that was his choice God set him up with a situation there the Council of Jerusalem where there was this discussion okay Paul your job is to go to the Gentiles and although he does preach to the Gentiles he doesn't in my opinion seem to have really taken that uh, seriously in the sense that he keeps on and on going to the Jews and you couldn't see that more clearly I think than in, in these two chapters now verse 6 when they blaspheme the Jews blaspheme he says from henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles and we expect then to, to read and Paul went into the marketplace and there was a whole load of uh, Gentiles there and he preached and he told them about Jesus and he said you must repent and be baptized for your sins and you also can have a part in God's great purpose and they rejoiced and they were baptized and there was another Gentile ecclesia but we don't read that he says from now on I'm going to go to the Gentiles verse 6 and what does he do? verse 7 he goes into the house that is next door to the synagogue and Christus the chief ruler of the synagogue believes on the Lord with all his house 
So again, he, he says, I'm going to the Gentiles, and he goes to the Jews. Now this is really emphasized. And then the Lord Jesus appears to him in a vision, verse 9, and says, Go on, go for it, Paul, go, go, go. Speak and don't hold your peace, because I am with you. And all the way through, you, you see this. He keeps on uh, talking to the, the Jews. Verse 18, Paul after this tied there a good while, and then takes his leave of the brethren, and he shaves his head in Sincrea, because he had a vow. Why does he do that? Because he argues elsewhere that that is not necessary. Keeping any of the, the Jewish uh, rituals is not necessary for salvation. But he does it clearly to appeal to the Jews, so that he as a Jew might be all things to all men, so that he might win the Jews. Then he comes to Ephesus, verse 19, and what does he do? He goes into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That, Wait a minute, you've just said in verse 6 you go into the Gentiles. He goes straight away to the Jews. Chapter 19, uh, he meets this uh, other group uh, in Ephesus, and he comes back to Ephesus, and these people had been baptized by John the Baptist, and he rebaptizes them. Now, if they'd been baptized by John the Baptist, these people were also Jews, presumably people who had met John the Baptist, been baptized by him in Israel, and were now for some reason in Ephesus. So again he goes to the Jews, and then verse 8, And he went into the synagogue, and spoke boldly again to the Jews, he went to the synagogue, for the space of three months. All the time he, he keeps on doing this. Now why does he do this? On one level you could say that a lot of Paul's problems were because of the Jews, that he wound them up something chronic, we could say that. And really, he would have avoided a lot of the problems that he had, and you could argue he would have even avoided his own death, if he had not preached to the Jews. And God actually set him up to not preach to the Jews. He said, you know, go to the Gentiles. Peter, go to the Jews. You go to the Gentiles. And Paul said, sure, done deal. So why does he keep on doing this? And why does God encourage him in that? Because, I mean, God blessed this ministry that he, he had, to, that he took upon himself to, to the Jews. And why does... Uh, the Lord Jesus say in verse 9 of chapter 18 go on Paul, go ahead don't be frightened of these guys after the Jews have threatened him and all the rest of it uh, go ahead, don't worry, just keep on well it seems to me that God can set you up in your life with a certain direction as God set Paul up to preach to the Gentiles and not to the Jews leave that to Peter but for some reason he felt that he must preach to the Jews and okay the Lord runs with that. Okay, that's what you want to do. I'll bless your work, provide you with the resources. I will lead you in that way. And I think it's somewhat similar with his desire in chapter 19, verse 21. He said he's pressed in his spirit that he must see Rome and go to Jerusalem. And yet, we're going to read on in chapter 20 and 21 of Acts, how the Holy Spirit witnessed to him in every city and said, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be bound. You're going to suffer. And he says, now, nah, all the same, I'm going to do it. So his spirit is kind of putting contrast, really, I think, to the Holy Spirit, witnessing to him about what's going to happen if he does this. And this is not to say that Paul and God were somehow in conflict. I don't think they were in conflict at all. 
It's simply that God was saying, okay, Paul, I'll work with you. I'll give you revelations from the Spirit, tell you what's going to happen, etc., etc. And he confirmed Paul in the way that he wanted to go. So we come back to this question then, why? Was he so interested in preaching to the Jews? And I think the answer there is in Romans 9, verse, verse 3, where he protests his continual love for his people. And he says in Romans 9, verse, let's read 1 to 3, some really amazing words, really. He says, I am telling you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, which I take to mean that the Holy Spirit in some form had... Uh, testified that what Paul is now saying was true, it could have been for another uh, New Testament prophet standing up and saying, Holy Spirit tells me that Paul's telling the truth and then he says, this is what is true what I'm not lying about, my conscience is pure, this is honestly what my conscience says and the Holy Spirit has somehow told you that this is the case but I have great heaviness and continual stutter in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ to my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites. So he's saying that I could be prepared, I would be prepared to give up my place in God's kingdom, to be accursed from Christ, so that Israel might be saved. This was the level of love that he had for Israel. And he's alluding here to Moses, saying, take my name out of the book that you've written, the book of life, so that they, Israel, might go into the land. Of course, God didn't quite accept that. He doesn't operate on the basis of substitution, that sort of Moses gave his place in the kingdom so they could go in. He doesn't say that. He says no. And he actually works through Moses and deals with Israel positively because Moses was their representative, not because he was their substitute. But that's just uh, by the way. The point is... Moses reached that huge level of love that he was prepared to give his place in eternity for God's people so that Israel could go in now it's one thing to give your life if it's my life or yours in front of a gunman and I say sure take mine let him go that, that's one thing and I can understand that but to give your eternal life in all seriousness to be willing to sacrifice it for the sake of Israel for the sake of people who despise Moses, um, who didn't want to know at all, but because Moses had that love, he was prepared to, to do that. Now, this is really a very high level of love. And Moses, uh, Paul reached the same level, but he says, I could wish that I were accursed from Christ for my brethren who are Israelites. I think he says that in the conditional tense there, I could wish because he realized that actually from Moses' example that God doesn't quite work on that simplistic substitutionary level okay Paul, you'll be a curse from Christ you won't be in the kingdom but they can be it's not quite like that God works with individuals and deals with individuals as they are the point is you just uh, well one is just without words really all commentary is uh, kind of bathos uh, really uh, in trying to put into words how, how highly and deeply we should respect Moses and Paul for both being willing to do that that they were willing to not be in eternity so that Israel might be saved and what is even more mind-blowing is that the love of Paul for, Moses, for, for Israel the love of Moses for Israel was a poor reflection of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for Israel 
and that is in itself I think a poor shadow of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us who I can't say we're better than Israel because as soon as you say that you're in trouble with uh, with, with Paul and uh, what's written in Hebrews where yeah, he says you, you can't say that but let's say, let's put it like this we have responded, we have been baptized we have, uh, we have staked our lives really on the fact that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God that he died and rose again and is coming again that is our hope and that is what we have staked our lives on really now that is the love of Jesus for us I mean, we should never again really doubt his love the extent of his desire to save us this niggling doubt which many admit to will I be in the kingdom it is really a questioning of the extent of his love when you look at Paul here being willing to give his eternity for Israel that he genuinely felt like that uh, and it leads you, as I say, down this sort of logical uh, path of thinking, well, if that was his love for them, what about the love of Jesus for Israel? And what about, therefore, the love of Jesus for me, for the new Israel? And Paul's passion for their salvation is, I think, brought out in what we're reading back here in Acts 18 and 19, that he was willing to go against, actually, what God has kind of told him to do to go to the Gentiles he kept on and on going to the Jews and God was prepared to accept that and Jesus as I say appeared in that night vision and encourages him after he's been uh, beat up and attacked by the, uh, by the Jews uh, basically and suddenly they blasphemed and got very nasty with him the Lord Jesus says go on Paul go 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 keep at it good man now also uh, notice in chapter 18 verse 5 that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia Paul was pressed in his spirit to preach to the Jews he was encouraged by others that the presence of Silas and Timothy even though Timothy from how Paul writes to him was somewhat uh, uh, shy, awkward maybe not as committed as maybe he could have been but he was a believer and he loved the Lord they encouraged him I don't think specifically I don't think they said yeah Paul go on go preach to the Jews but their presence encouraged him and obviously you have another example of this in Acts 18, 27 and 28 that Apollos helped or encouraged those who had already believed because he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly that Jesus was, was the Christ so those who had been already converted those who had believed through grace were encouraged and strengthened by seeing Apollos publicly converting others or testifying publicly that Jesus was the Christ and so we need each other even someone of the statute of Paul needed the encouragement and inspiration of others to go in the path that he felt he should go even though as I say I don't think Silas and Timotheus said to him go for it Paul, yep, yep, you do it their presence encouraged him and in his own spirit he decided that well, you know, this is the way that I must go for me personally, not for Silas and Timothy but for me personally and so he was inspired and this is really playing itself out in our lives as well God's purpose with each of us is to some degree open-ended there's all 
sorts of paths that we could take to God's kingdom and we shall get there in the end but we could take different paths there now he could have taken the path of witnessing to the Gentiles but he took what was really the hardest path to preach to the Jews and to keep on preaching to them and it was that that led him to his death and really his insistence on going to Rome in order to spread the gospel it seems to me further I mean this also led him to his death I mean you remember how when he's tried in Jerusalem his judges say you know this guy could have been released but he's appealed to Caesar um, we could have let him go but he, he wanted to appeal to Caesar because he wanted to go to Rome to preach the gospel spread the message as far as he could that's my uh, interpretation anyway so then he did preach to the Jews but in, in that uh, process of course Gentiles also heard chapter 19 verse 10 all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus both Jews and Gentiles then we come on to verse 17 talking specifically about this incident in Ephesus this was known to all the Jews and Gentiles dwelling at Ephesus now if he means every Jew and every Gentile it doesn't quite grammatically make sense it, it, it seems to imply that the, these quote Jews and Gentiles were amongst those who were dwelling at Ephesus so the Jews and Gentiles that he's talking about in 17 I suggest are the Jews and Gentiles of verse 10 who had believed in the Lord Jesus so then the Jewish and Gentile believers who were dwelling in Ephesus when they saw this uh, uh, fake uh, these fake uh, people trying to uh, uh, claim the name of Jesus and then this man in whom there was an evil spirit jumped upon them uh, and uh, prevailed against them they were very fearful and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and now verse 18 many that had believed came and confessed and showed their deeds they had already believed that is undoubtedly the meaning of the Greek text here and a lot of Bibles do say that many that had believed came and confessed and showed their deeds so we're talking about people Jews and Gentiles verse 17 who had already believed and when they see this incident or they hear of this incident of the seven sons of uh, Sceva the Jew being jumped on and, and humiliated by this, this uh, un mentally unwell person because they had uh, tried to use the name of Jesus in vain they're really impressed by this and they confess and show their deeds and bring out all their valuable books and, and all the uh, valuable bits and pieces that went with various uh, things idol worship or superstitions and there was this huge value of all of them 50,000 pieces of silver and they just burnt it because so mightily grew the word of God verse 20 and prevailed now I think what you have here is people who had believed passively people who had believed being reconverted and taken up to a higher level whereby they think wow this is for real and they confess show their deeds and uh, give up all this these hugely valuable um, superstitious uh, paraphernalia that they had and 
you get a similar thing I think in the Gospels where you read it in, in John particularly that many of the Jews believed on Jesus and then you read of that same group who we've just read had believed in Jesus um, certainly not believing on him and basically turning against him and certainly not standing up for him it's a, a whole story with Joseph and Nicodemus they also believed but secretly for fear of the Jews so there are levels of conversion you see this very clearly in Peter that uh, when you are converted strengthen your brethren and he could have said that Lord I'm already converted and he was but you can work out this about three times when this idea of conversion is used about Peter that he had believed of course he had but he was converted to a higher level and it is a case of converting the converted but conversion has levels there's rungs up a ladder it's not a, a smooth graph it's a, a jagged a jagged graph and it's a sort of a step thing really but you you do go up um, different levels in your belief and in your in your conviction and this can so easily happen it should be happening to all of us if we continue following the way that God is trying to lead us that we realize that we must not just have this passive level of commitment but be willing and eager as they were verse 18 to confess to really confess sin not just yeah yeah we're all sinners but to really feel the the, the weight of your own failure and your own to, to be convicted of your own seriousness of sin and to feel that definite weight that there is and to to know that now wow that has been lifted and to, to confess that openly to be generous to give of what you have to give up those bits and pieces that, that you've been involved in, in in worldly ways things like that you, you shouldn't have been but you haven't given it up suddenly it all clicks into place and that's what happened here and it's a wonderful example of converting the converted and this is for each of us and you will find this you can probably look back in your life and see it I think it's particularly true for people who, are, who grew up maybe uh, in an environment where they believed the gospel and from babyhood almost childhood were some level of believers they got baptized and then through God's hand in your life you come to see wow this is all for real this is all true or it may be that you were attracted to the message of the gospel on an almost academic level that you started to figure out certain things about the Bible and you thought wow the Bible's interesting sure I'll get baptized that seems to be the right thing to do and then later on you are brought by circumstance to think wow this is for real and for Peter it was really I think the experience of the crucifixion that led him to conversion because Jesus says when you're converted strengthen your brethren and the strengthening of his brethren was when Jesus three times tells him after the resurrection go and feed my sheep so that really was his conversion being there at the cross being smitten for his own in his conscience for his own denial of Jesus this is what led him to strengthen his brethren and so we come before the cross the same cross in our mind's eye and we are to be converted again we are to be convicted again and again of our sin 
and to again feel that joy of, of forgiveness and to realize that he who gave all for me I have to give all that I have for him that I have to let go of all the things that I'm clinging on to I think if you read through Ephesians in the light of what's the sort of historical background here there's a lot of verses that suddenly spring to life there and I, um, I'll leave you to do that, that can be your homework to read through the letters of the Ephesians bearing in mind the history here um, but just one thing they gave up this huge amount of, of riches of 50,000 pieces of silver in uh, all this different paraphernalia that they, they just burnt and got rid of um, that's why in Ephesians he talks about the, the riches which are in Christ Jesus he says that God has uh, when we were dead in sins, yet we were quickened together with Christ. This is surely a, a reference to baptism. It's similar language to Romans 6. And has raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So then, we then, who have believed, who have been connected with him by baptism, we are to perceive the exceeding riches of his grace. And I think that's what they perceived. That the riches of the kingdom that was ahead, the exceeding riches of his grace, which we will be shown throughout the ages to come, that is wealth indeed. And 50,000 pieces of silver is nothing. That's just like the 30 pieces of silver that, you know, that Judas got uh, to, to betray Jesus. It's nothing. You know, he threw it down in the temple he was disgusted with it disgusted with himself and so I think it is with us the more you perceive the utter riches of God's grace that he is going to shower on us forever and ever and ever the ages to come throughout the ages to come he will show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus therefore therefore what is wealth? what's the point of just uh, putting Jesus on the back burner and leaving your spiritual life just as it is um, not being really uh, gripped by it at all uh, because well I'm busy going to work or doing my second job or getting up the ladder in my career and buying a bigger house and need money for this, this, that and the other all this stuff is nothing compared to those riches which he will show to us and therefore I'm not saying that we literally should just you know, throw all our money in a big pile or burn our houses over our heads or anything like that, not at all. Um, but in terms of our attitudes, to say, you know, this is all just so much junk. It is so much junk and I don't want it compared to the excellency of those exceeding riches which he has by grace given to us in his grace in Christ Jesus.